Bienvenidos and welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined not today by Jonah Birch. Um, Jonah is on a special media mission for Jacobin Sports Show. Uh, he's actually in Qatar today for the World Cup. He entered the nation smuggling in hot dogs, medical marijuana, and hardcore pornography. So we will see how Jonah does in his time out there. Hopefully he'll be here next episode. Um, but there is plenty to talk about just for us today. Um, where even to begin? Well, let's start with that World Cup, because um, that's going to be probably the biggest story in sports, even in this country, for the next month or so. Um, and the World Cup could not have gotten off to more of a World Cup start than the hour-long... <laughs> Johnny and Johnny Infantino. Um, if you don't, if you didn't read about it or know about it, it, gave this. And if you don't know who Johnny Infantino is, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of background on this individual. Um, he may be the most delusional, unlikable, like in the world of sports. And if you think of American sports and think of all the people that we don't like, like. So many people that we don't like. Um, I don't know if there's anyone anywhere near this guy. So Infantino is the president of FIFA. Um, FIFA is the organization that um, manages the World Cup and profits off it and um, sells it to, you know, government criminal cabals um, under extreme corruption to enrich himself and his friends while i mean you could pick any world cup and the exploitation is disgusting in you know in a lot of places they build all these stadiums for the world cup that they may not even use again um cutter has been under a incredible scrutiny ever since the decision was announced to host the world cup there years ago because of human rights violations particularly not particularly because they they seem to be all over, but there have been an estimated at least 6,500 migrant workers who have died in constructing um, World Cup stadiums and other infrastructure for the tournament. Most of the these these immigrant workers all come from Southeast Asia. They come from India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, um, and they they live in little shanty towns, which is putting it kindly. And thousands of them are dying. And <laughs> Infantino, who has for years heard this criticism and, you know, he he doesn't, he really doesn't care. He really, really doesn't care. And he gave a speech about how he, he, he took every group that has a legitimate complaint about this tournament even existing this year. And basically tried to to co-opt them by putting it all on him he he gave a speech where he said i'm you know today i'm i'm gay i'm a migrant worker i'm you know every, any group that that cutter restricts against which is most people um infantino was was trying to like act like he's standing up for them except it doesn't make any sense because you are literally running the event 
with the people that are discriminating against everyone that you say that you are. So homosexuality is a crime in Qatar. Um, Premarital sex is a crime in Qatar. Um, Who are you... (laughs) Who are you helping by standing up and saying that you are gay? You are you are a migrant worker. You're not. You're the filthy rich person who's helping to run the tournament who sold it years ago to these people against incredible global opposition. You're disrupting all the premier soccer leagues around the world by hosting the tournament for the first time in the winter. Because in the summer in Qatar, it would be impossible to do a World Cup, which is always when it's held. So they literally upended the whole schedule, overrode the beliefs and protests and entreaties of all kinds of group of people. And this soccer is the most popular sport in the world. Like every single group of people has skin in this game. And Qatar would rather skin these people than treat them as humans. And Infantino is taking their money in one hand and then spends an hour (laughs) ripping the talking about Western hypocrisy and Europe. And, and he's not, this is the thing. He's not wrong on that, but it reminds me of in the 1930s um, when the Nazis and the fascists were rising to power in Europe in Argentina. I know that Borges, um, Jorge Luis Borges was horrified at, Argentinian intellectuals who fell on the side of okay Hitler is good and Mussolini is good strictly because they're going after the west and they're going after the traditional western powers in Europe I mean England and France and at that point those were like the main two rivals for them and there was a feeling among a lot of intellectuals that anyone doing anything against you know the west it was good because they were they were giving the West a taste of its own medicine. The devil you don't know is not always better than the one who you do. And this is not remotely to say like Europe is a better I'm not I'm not saying Europe has anything to, to stand on as far as nobility over its history or the West to this day. But maybe if you're going to raise fair points about Western hypocrisy and Europe's history of oppression, maybe don't do it while you're in a human rights nightmare of a nation and you're literally there because they're paying you. And in in Infantino's case, he's moved his family there. So he literally, he has like, what's he going to do? He's not going to be objective and then go back to his home and and cutter and like take it easy. He knows what he would be in for. It's really, it's amazing that you're on the cusp of this enormous global event that more people watch in the world than anything else and still the buttholes who run it for profit cannot help but embarrass themselves and make it harder and harder and harder to want to watch this tournament today the first game is happening as always the host nation plays so it's cutter against ecuador i am not watching that game um We'll see what happens with the tournament. I'm, I know I will end up watching it. Um, I will feel gross the whole time, and maybe I won't end up. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear from any of you. You can email us at uh, jacobinsports at gmail.com or hit up our Twitter uh, at jacobinsportshow. 
are you going to watch the tournament? Do you feel gross watching the tournament? Do you feel like, look, man, all of life is a mess and all of sports basically is run by rich a-holes, so we might as well take the pleasure we can from it? I'd be very curious to know what other people are thinking about the tournament. I assume at some point I will watch it, but there's going to be a challenge. Um, there's going to be a challenge just even committing to sitting there and turning it on that I've never felt maybe before. Um, so there's the World Cup. I'm sure by the next time we have an episode, there will be more things to talk about and probably more controversy because you know there's going to be some conflicts between the world coming to Qatar. Qatar at the very last minute announced that they would not sell beer at the, I think, outside the stadiums. There are, there are a few designated spots where you can drink. You can't buy alcohol during the games. Um, and they just announced that I think they're cutting uh, alcohol access even in some places where before it was going to be. So you're bringing the whole world to come to your country to watch an event that everybody likes to drink while they watch, you're cutting that off. Public displays, public displays of affection are not allowed. Um, spitting in public is not allowed. This isn't about judging on their culture. It's just about why would you invite the entire world to your house, knowing how the entire world is when they watch this game, and you're expecting them to come over and behave in a way that they never do. Um, so I'm sure there will be more stories to come out of this World Cup. Um, in the world of Major League Baseball, it is free agency, of course, and an interesting kind of scenario that's playing out in free agency. Um, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but Ralph Nader I met years ago um, when he gave a speech on Long Island, and I love Ralph Nader, and if you have any complaints about Ralph Nader in the 2000 election, just stop listening right now because that's asinine. Um, but Ralph Nader wrote a book at the time called only the super rich can save us. And I, I, I met him afterwards. He's very tall, good looking man in person. Um, the premise of the book. Well, I don't know if you care that Ralph Nader is, is I found him attractive in person, but I stand by my story. Um, in baseball right now, there is something going on that makes me wonder if Nader's premise is correct or if it was satire um, and we hope to never see it. But in baseball right now, Steve Cohen is the New York Mets owner. Steve Cohen is the richest owner in Major League Baseball. He is one of the richest owners, um, I, I pretty much think, in sports. And Steve Cohen has shown he has no hesitance to spend whatever money it takes to sign players that he thinks will help the Mets win. Uh, this is what the Yankees used to be like under George Steinbrenner, but now under Hal Steinbrenner, the Yankees are more about just making a profit and not, you know, not spending too much. But the Mets are absolutely under Cohen, a team that will, will spend every last dollar and then some. So baseball is the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap. Every other sport, there is a limit on how much a team can spend on its payroll. Baseball is the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap. What baseball has is a series of taxes. So if you if you spend, you know, two hundred thirty million, you'll pay like a certain amount on that. If you pay two fifty, you'll pay a higher tax. I think it goes up to like two ninety. They call it the Cohen tax, and 
it's also supposed to be prohibitive over time. So if you are over the tax level for a certain number of years in a row, the penalty goes up. This is what's decided upon during collective bargaining negotiations by the owners themselves because they don't want any owner to spend too much money because then it would put pressure on them to actually spend their money too. And it would raise the point to the fans that like, wait a minute, this isn't about small market versus big market. If you're, if you're an incredibly wealthy person, if you're a billionaire, it doesn't matter that your team is in Pittsburgh and not Boston. This is all pennies to you anyway. The Met payroll, which is the largest in the sport, is about, it's getting close, I think, to $300 million. That is, let's see, even if we, let's up it to 333 just for the sake of math. If the Met payroll is $333 million a year, that would make it about 145th of Steve Cohen, of um, Steve Cohen's wealth, okay? So we're talking... Two and two and a half, two point two five percent of his wealth would go to that. That's a joke, and nobody is asking every owner to spend three hundred thirty-three million dollars. But you have teams in baseball. It's known the Yankees are now kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too. But Pittsburgh has been this way for a long time. They're probably the most infamous case of teams who profit. They accept if the teams that are over the luxury tax have to pay a, basically a penalty. And that money is then spread to all the teams who didn't pay the tax. So you have these teams like Pittsburgh who never compete. If they have a good player, they trade them before they have a chance to ever you know, get a big contract and stay there. And they rake in the money year after year and they don't spend. But every collective bargaining session is the owners crying about how teams aren't actually really worth that much. And, oh, we're going to pass a new restriction on spending but they have a bit of a problem because they don't have a cap and Steve Cohen. I mean, if the owners codify these policies into their CBA, which they do, there's no cap. You can spend this much. If you spend this much, there's going to be a penalty. Well, Steve Cohen is the one owner who's telling them, okay, I heard you. I'm not worried about that penalty. I'm actually flattered that you would name a tax after me because that's how little I care about it. So this offseason, Jason DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom, maybe the maybe the most desired, certainly expensive free agent on the market. He's a Met. The talk has been as long as the Mets offer him a, a, a deal that's competitive with what else is out there, he'll stay a Met. There's been talk about Justin Verlander, who just won his Third Cy Young at age 40, looked as good as ever, maybe better than ever. Um, he's looking for a new deal. Steve Cohen can pay these people whatever he wants and get them. And every offseason that he's, this is Cohen's third offseason running the Mets. His first offseason, he signed Francisco Lindor. He traded for Lindor and gave him the biggest contract in franchise history. I think it was $341 million, which was probably about double the prior biggest contract in Met history. Last year, Cohen made Max Scherzer the highest paid pitcher per year in Major League history at about $43 million. Every single offseason, Cohen does something that's just exceptional that, that maybe no other team would do. I hope he does more and more of it. And I don't know if this is anti-capitalist or if this is how, you know, how 
industries end up choking on the excess of their capitalist vomit, as Fidel Castro's daughter once said in an episode of The Critic. But I wonder if a guy like Cohen comes in and keeps spending and keeps spending and keeps spending and the players are never going to agree to a salary cap, what recourse would the owners have but to eventually spend money? He's not doing anything illegal. He's not doing anything wrong. He's not doing anything the fans would oppose. Aaron Judge is a free agent. That's another weird thing. I don't understand this about baseball's finances. Aaron Judge is a free agent. He won the MVP award. He hit more home runs last year than anyone in American League history, including Babe Ruth, Roger Maris. He's a free agent. Last year, the Yankees offered him an insulting deal by market value. It was like seven years, about $210 million. Judge is going to get at least $100 million more than that, if not probably more than that. Now MLB is launching an investigation into the Mets and the Yankees because there was a report on the Met Network's website, SNY, uh, a while ago, saying that the Mets weren't gonna the Mets wouldn't go after Judge because Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner, the Yankees owner, have kind of a a friendly gentleman's understanding that they don't compete with each other over the same players. What the hell is that? Why would you not do that? First of all, why would anybody who's in any kind of competition with the New York Yankees agree to any kind of a detente that's like, well, okay, let, let's 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 not go after the best player. That's what the Yankees have made their entire history about. I hope that's not true. I can't imagine why it would be. I can't imagine Steve Cohen bought the Mets so he could stay in the Yankees' shadow. I would like to see what happens. I would like to see how all these billionaires respond to the rich. Basically, you would have baseball gentrification, but for once, the billionaires would be the ones suffering it because the super rich, in this case, Cohen, could put the whole system out of whack just by spending the money that he wants to. And I would love, love to see all these rich owners trying to appeal to the public about why that's a problem, why it's a problem that billionaires are actually investing in teams which are not businesses they're public trusts so we will see what happens in free agency with cohen uh and other things but keep an eye on that if you have any interest in major league baseball or billionaire comeuppance um from the world of basketball um i'm struggling a bit with something going on with my team that reminds me of my politics so i don't know what to call myself politically. Most of my values seem to sync up with um, socialists. I feel like there has been some progress with socialists, particularly in the House, gaining some representation in state and local offices. But there are so many systemic reasons why I feel the U.S. would smack socialism down before it ever got a chance to actually take over the reins of power i mentioned ralph nader before perfect example like when you when you really have someone coming from that kind of a position which is really radically rooted in justice and the integrity and significance of the human being versus the dollar you don't get near the seat of power if that's where you're coming from. It is the system. It's it's like a, it's like white blood cells designed to keep you away. Unless the system gets sick, you're not getting anywhere near that seat. So we have the Knicks, who 
are having a very Nick year in that they've won eight games and they've lost eight games, which by Nick standards is, is not bad. Really, but I mean, it's standard. It's a solid, mediocre, run-of-the-mill team. And for a franchise that has been a dramatic, flaming tire fire for most of this century, three years running of mediocre to good play like deserves an award. It's that unusual and that significant. But because the Knicks are the Knicks, I don't know if it'll ever work. Just like I don't know if it'll ever happen with socialism because the Knicks have systemic problems. I mean, the biggest one, obviously, is the owner because he's been there during this entire 20-year hell. And the Knicks are 8-8, eight and eight, doing okay, but... There's all this talk about they need to trade this young guy. They need to trade that young guy. Every time they lose the, any game, the fan base freaks out. I'm curious if anyone listening, I know that that may sound like fandom in general, that fans are predisposed towards volatility and we, we go game to game and maybe there's more license and liberty in being irrational if you know simultaneously that you are a devoted fan, because then you're basically like releasing emotion and energy, but knowing you're not going to do anything with it as pissed off or disappointed as I can get about the Knicks losing a game. I'm not going to quit watching them. I'm not going to quit watching basketball. So it's kind of like when you're at an amusement park or a, a horror film or a roller coaster and you're scared, but you know, somewhere in your mind, like this is safe. Like I'm scared, but it's okay. And that's how I know, like, even when the Knicks are letting me down, like, I'm scared. But it's it's probably okay because it's this is recreational. This is an outlet. Like, I'm not – I don't watch the, the games strictly because I want my team to win or else I would have stopped watching the Knicks a long time ago. Um, but I'm wondering with socialism. I'm wondering, you know, really it all goes back to me still to 2000. That was the first election that I could vote in. Um, I did some volunteering at my at my college for Ralph Nader, and I was completely trapped in this bubble in 2000 because all my friends and everyone I was close with tended to share similar ways of thinking to me politically. And so on the on the campus, Ralph Nader was enormously popular, and there was no doubt to me that he was going to get the five percent that he needed to be eligible for the Greens to have federal matching funds, and. Not only does it not happen, but given all the corruption around the 2000 election, it led to wondering, like, even if Ralph Nader did get 5 or 10%, like, if the two major parties are strong enough and corrupt enough to try to screw each other out of votes, like, there's no way to ever trust that a third candidate actually would get those many votes or not, because they don't have anyone in charge in the system to help them along. Same thing with the Knicks. I don't know... I don't know what's going there. I am finding this year that I feel much more volatile as a fan than usual. I like literally game to game. If they win, I am so encouraged and optimistic. And if they lose, like I'm so down and I'm sure this has to do with just a lot of the challenges and changes that have come in my personal life this year. I realized this is the first year since 2014 that I'm not watching the Knicks with my daughter um like every single night and that's weird and hard and i don't like it um i'm actually gonna have her over in a couple hours 
So today might be the first day that she's around while I watch a Nick game, but maybe that's what's causing it. But I am finding my emotions all over the place. So maybe I'm weird. Maybe that's making me more cynical about socialism than I should be, given that, again, there have been advances um, in state and local governments, certainly, and mayors, and in the House, there's been more progress. So I probably shouldn't be down. But every now and then, man, when you stop and try to let the whole big picture take shape, like it's just a monster and you can't handle it, or I can't handle it anyway. Um, Speaking of monsters, I want to close today. We don't usually talk about the NHL. Um, This isn't really about hockey, though. Um, This is about a man named Mitchell Miller. Um, Mitchell Miller is an extremely highly regarded hockey player. He's a defenseman. He's young. Um, He was drafted um, a couple years ago by the Arizona Coyotes. Um, He was recently signed to a three-year, not not exclusively a pro deal, but some kind of a three-year contract that I think had like minor league options also by the Boston Bruins. Meanwhile, Mitchell Miller never played for the Coyotes and has already been released by the Bruins, and if you're wondering why, um, Mitchell Miller, when he was drafted, I think it came out after the draft, not before, after the draft, Miller grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and there was a classmate of his, a black classmate named Isaiah Meyer Crothers. When Miller uh, and Crothers were in school together, uh, apparently Miller would bully and harass and abuse uh, Meyer Crothers, uh, Miller and a friend of his rubbed a piece of candy in a urinal and then gave it to Meyer Crothers to eat. Um, he called Meyer Crothers racial slurs, um, just ugly, ugly behavior. And the other, the other kid involved personally apologized to Meyer Crothers. Miller denied the story right up until um, they were going to come forward with the video of him and the other kid doing it. And then he finally admitted it, uh, never apologized in person to Meyer Crothers. He sent him, I think like an email, um, or a letter apparently thought that was sufficient. Um, you know, kept his head down, dominated at a, at a, a minor league level for a bit. And Boston was going to bring him into the NHL. And there was such an uproar and such opposition to it that the Bruins and Cam Neely um, eventually figured out, oh, okay, sorry. We're going to drop this guy. I don't understand, and this is what I'm struggling with in this story in particular. I think there's an assumption that we all make, and I understand it, that the very, very wealthy, like team owners, generally speaking, do not care about anything but the bottom line of profit. Um, that's why when the Celtics cut, uh, when the Celtics suspended Ime Odoka for harassing a, a team employee that he had a relationship with, when they just immediately suspended him for the year and clearly looked like he will never be back there again, it was really surprising because it didn't seem to me like at least financially, that it was to the Celtics' benefit. Udoka is an incredibly highly regarded young coach. He led them to the finals last year. They were two wins away from a championship. Teams like 
teams in that position will, you know, run over their own grandmothers to win it all the next season. And the Celtics suspended a guy right off the bat. So I thought, okay, that's rare. That's impressive. The Bruins did this, but the Bruins only distanced themselves from Miller after the public outcry came. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, as always, I mean, the, the man cannot clip a nail without fucking something up. First, Bettman is talking about how Miller isn't eligible for the league, not now, but he'll be eligible someday. And then I think there was more of a reaction to that. So then Bettman said, like, he's not eligible. He's not going to be eligible. Like, Bettman's trying to, to cover all bases, of course, of everything because he is a bitch. Um, but my question here is, are these extremely rich and powerful owners, commissioners, people, are they honestly so detached from most of society that it it really doesn't cross their mind that this is wrong and people will respond to it that way? Or maybe it's not one or the other. Maybe it's a combination. There's also the possibility that they don't, they're not ignorant. They don't care because they really don't have to, like, at all. Somebody, I can't remember who this was yet, but when the Kyrie scandal broke recently, somebody online had a really good take on it where they talked to, oh, Colin, oh, God. A writer whose name is Colin. He's a great sports writer. Um, wait, give me a second so I can find his name because he's he's worth following if you're on Twitter. He's a brilliant writer. He's one of my favorites. Uh, his name is Colin McGowan. Uh, at CS underscore McGowan, M-C-G-O-W-A-N. I love, Colin Mc, I love Colin McGowan's work. And he was running during the Kyrie scandal and about what he called fuck you money, which is, you see, it's not just a thing with athletes. If you read literature, uh, Murakami, this happened with, uh, Murakami wrote a book that's basically, Murakami has written, incredible incredible fiction but murakami wrote a book at some point after he had really achieved like okay like you probably don't even get an editor anymore because you're you're murakami like you're so successful he wrote some book that literally like every other paragraph is just about a description of like a boob or a penis and i remember my friend and i talking about it and recognizing like this is what happens when you are so successful that there is no one around you to say no. And you saw it with Kyrie, like Kyrie Irving can afford to never have to be in an environment where anyone's going to hold him accountable or push him in a way that he doesn't want to be pushed. I'm wondering if that is what happens with some of these very, very rich people. Like when you have, when you have that much money, when you have that, that fuck you money, is that why this kind of thing happens where you literally think, you know what? N the rest of the league has avoided signing this person because not only was he, was he racist and yes, I mean, look, man, people change and they grow from middle school and, and high school. Like I get that. Um, I really do get that except there is zero evidence in this instance of remorse 
or any attempt at um trying to make amends to Meyer Crothers. Like it's Miller has never ever shown that. So given the reality of this situation, you have a person who was racist, has denied it, who fed a kid candy that was rolled around in a urinal, literally lied about it all the way until they were going to release video showing him doing it. And then, and only then does he send a letter to the kid apologizing. And then a couple of years later, the Boston Bruins think, yeah, okay, this is going to fly. This is going to be great. I don't get it. Um, I think that it used to be that way in sports. I think in 1986, Mitchell Miller, we would never have even heard these kinds of stories about him. And if they did come up, you know, the organization would find some way to crush it or, or maybe the fans wouldn't care. But I feel like today, with everything else that maybe is not better in the world, I do think in general that sports franchises in general are not recognizing that this is wrong, but are being forced to address it because of the public reaction to when they do things that are wrong. And I wonder if we'll see more of this or if, you know, as the media rights deals increase and the digital rights increase and the sports bring in more and more money, we haven't seen the limit of fuck you money. Like what you're seeing in Qatar right now with the world cup, that is the next level of that darkness where you literally have, Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of human beings living in squalor and dying to build stadiums that you're going to use for a month and then probably not use again. That's scary. That's... I'm sorry, this is not, this is not the most like pick me up pod that we've ever done. Um I need Jonah here to cut some light into all this. I hope that if you started listening to this episode, you're still listening and that I didn't lose you. Um anything I can think of a last bright note. Yes, I bought I got myself a WNBA sweatshirt. It was on sale, eight bucks, extremely soft, extremely comfortable. Um I'm very proud to wear the jersey of the one league right now in the world that I know of where the athletes seem to be conscientious and recognize that they have a certain platform and that they want to use it to help voiceless people beneath them. Um, Speaking of which, of course, again, another not great story. Um, But we haven't talked about this as much as I would like to. And, we had a guest on uh, early in our run, uh, Lindsay D'Arcangelo, who writes for The Athletic Buffalo um, and covers the WNBA, and I'd like to ha- along with the NFL, but I'd like to have Lindsay hopefully on soon to talk about um, the Brittany Griner situation because it just gets sadder and sadder and sadder, and now she has been shipped um, from her from her prison to a penal colony in Mordovia, uh, which in Russia is known as the land of prisons. Um, it doesn't sound even 
even as in the hierarchy of Russians, Russia's penal system, this is not a good place to be. Um, there's about there's a couple dozen prisons in Mordovia, um, which is about 250 miles southeast of Moscow. It's considered a dump. It's considered a place where they send um, very dangerous prisoners. Um, so the you know the the there are people who keep pushing and advocating and trying to get Griner out. Um, you probably know this by now, but the reason she's in their prison in the first place is because most of, a lot of WNBA players spend a portion of the year playing overseas because the WNBA, despite um, all the money the NBA has, the WNBA doesn't pay its athletes like very much. Um, it's getting better, but it has always been low enough that even the best WN players, Griner, Diana Taurasi, um, even the best of the best will play overseas. Many of them have played in Russia. Um, Griner has been there a few years, but obviously this year with the change in the, and the, the depreciate, the deterioration of relations between the U S and Russia in light of the war that Putin launched on Ukraine, Brittany Griner was arrested at the airport for trying to enter or leave the country. I wish I could remember now. I'm sorry. She was detained because she had cannabis vape cartridges in her luggage. And you know what? There's 0% chance that Brittany Griner hasn't done this before in Russia. I, I believe in past years she's a celebrity. She's an athlete. She's a well-known American. I bet she brought vape cartridges with her before, and I bet they let her for all those reasons, because Russia liked having this American basketball celebrity in their league. And as soon as the politics changed, suddenly... They're arresting her for what you know she's done before. But the treatment of her is so, so disgusting, so cruel. Um, and now she's in a worse place than she was before. Her family didn't know about it until she had been there. Her lawyers, her Russian lawyers, did not know she had been moved until after she had been moved. And... Um, even when they found out she had been moved, they didn't know for a while where she was. They just knew she had been moved and didn't know where she had ended up. So there's a lot going on, um, as always, in sports, in the world, um, that we should think about, we should care about, um, and we should definitely contemplate what it tells us about ourselves and the life and the world outside of sports, because in a lot of ways... What goes on in sports, politically, socially, economically, is either like a like a funhouse mirror reflection of what goes on in reality, or I think a, a testing ground where they'll try to do vile stuff there before they do it in public. So hopefully, Brittany Griner, please, is home sooner than later. Um, hopefully, Mitchell Miller. doesn't get into the NHL, so maybe he has no choice but to work on himself as a person. Um, hopefully the World Cup brings light in some ways to a place that in a lot of ways is dark. Um, 
Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. And hopefully Jonah will be here. Um, I'm sure he will be for the next episode um, when we will tackle these and all kinds of other stories. So I want to once again thank you uh, for being here with us. Please remember, if you have not subscribed to our Patreon, you can subscribe. Um, it's patreon.com slash Sports. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, Sports Show, uh, as long as Twitter still exists. Um, and you can also email the show, uh, jacobinsports at gmail.com. That is all for this episode. Thank you all. Love you all. Uh, we will talk again soon. Peace, everybody. Mm-hmm.